The Women in Media podcast is proudly sponsored by Organic Traditions for spring 2024. Stay tuned for a special deal during this episode. I'm Sarah Burke, and this is the Women in Media podcast. Big thanks to my first sponsor of the year, a Canadian-owned women-run business for chicks. My guest today is a money expert. She's an accredited financial counselor in Canada. She's a well-known speaker. I think I've seen you on every television news program that there is. Uh, You're the host of the More Money podcast and the founder of a financial education company called More Money Media, Inc. So fancy. Jessica Morehouse, how are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited. So Jess and I have definitely some mutual friends. We've run into Mm -hmm. each other at shows and, you know, throughout music industry stuff, your husband. And, um, is a producer engineer. Do I have that right? Engineer. Yeah. 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 Uh, Josh. And he's fantastic. And he was one of the best people I worked with during my time at SiriusXM. But I actually took one of your courses. I think it's about two years ago now. Wealth Building Blueprint for Canadians. I'm curious, actually, since you brought it up, how have you been doing since you started? Because two years, yeah. a lot can happen in two years. How are you doing? It's funny because I took that course when I was plotting my business, I guess, right? Where mm. I was thinking that I needed to change some things up. I didn't want to work for the man anymore, I guess you could say. Yeah. So that's when I look to your course. And I think a level of trust I love too, because I didn't think you were trying to sell me something above my level. Like it felt really mm-hmm. friendly. And for someone who's like in a beginning stage of thinking about their finances, yeah. the automation of life when you work for a company is super interesting, right? So when Mm -hmm. you work for a company, you know, you can contribute to our RSPs, you get paid every two weeks, like all those things just sort of happen and fall into your lap. Mm -hmm. However, when you work for yourself, (laughs) you've got to be the payroll department and the tax planner. You've got to be all those. Exactly. So I knew that I needed a little education on that. And now do you want to hear the worst thing ever? Mm. I need to go back to your course and pick it back up because I never finished it. That's okay. And that's why you get lifetime access to the course because I know a lot of students start it, life happens, and then they pause and then they decide to go back to it. So that's the other kind of great thing. It's like you could, and and even with just anything when it comes to your finances, it's never too late. You can pick it up at any time. And I think part of that was that my exit at SiriusXM happened Mm -hmm. in a way that I needed some time to process. We'll put it that way. Yes. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I had to put certain things in front of the other. Now I'm in a place where I feel like I can save money, whereas back then it was like survival mode. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So Mm -hmm. that is why I'm very grateful to have that course. And you know what? The downtime of the the holidays feels like the perfect time for that. I will say we are recording this mid-December. And uh, at this point, I have not decided if I want to release this episode in January or December, last of the year, first of the year. But I think those are two Mm -hmm. key times during Mm -hmm. financial planning, you know, looking back, reflecting or Uh budgeting and looking ahead, forecasting. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. So I always think of December as December is when everyone kind of throws caution to the wind and just like spends a ton of money because it's the holidays. You got that excuse. And then January is like your hangover and you're like, oh, what happened? (laughs) And then trying to figure out how do I recover from that? It's not a shame thing. It's just like that is what everyone does, including myself. I spend so much more money than I normally do in December. And then I have to try to make up for it in January. But that's the other thing. It's like, that's okay. That's what everyone does. And as long as you like get back on that horse. And I, I always feel like excited and 
motivated in January. Like I always consider it as like, you know, new, yeah, new year, new you kind of thing. And let's get going and stuff like that. And that's really, I feel like when I decided, because you and me talk about like, you know, working out and stuff like that's when I, in January last year, I'm like, I need to do something different with my fitness. And I know everyone talks about that in January, but I'm like, no, this is the year. And I've actually stuck to it. I'm so proud of you. Slow to start, but I've actually (laughs) stuck to it. It feels really good. I uh, brought Jess to an F45 class. (laughs) And I almost died. (laughs) But I think I got you hooked. Did I? Oh, yeah. After that, once we finished, I'm like, oh, I felt so good because I had no idea how it worked. And I'm like, what is happening? But I've been doing it consistently since April. I'm so, so proud of you. Like a good three, four times a week. So, yeah, I absolutely love it. But it is it is very I was, I was talking about um, how fitness and finance are so they are. connected. They really are right they are hard things to do there are things that we need to do because we need to be healthy and we need to be financially healthy and it always seems like you're in this struggle alone but everyone's struggling the same way just no one's talking about it right yes. like not many people talk about like i want to like i don't know not with me and my friends it's like we don't really talk about like oh i have these love handles that won't go away right. or what have you uh, unless you know someone who's doing it and then you'll whisper hey i see that you're doing f45 can i go to a class or hey i saw you posted something on social media about how you're in debt and you're started this you know budget can we can you give me some tips or something i will say that those resources from the course that i got at access to, I am using and I'm very grateful for them. So thank you for those things. You're so welcome. So your story is interesting because you did not start out in this financial world at all. No. So let's recap how you got into finance. Yeah, it's a weird story. Now looking back, you're like, oh, gosh, I've been doing this for so long. But I went to university for film, thought I was going to be a famous film editor and win an Oscar and or or director and just do all the things Hollywood and graduated during 2009 and realized I actually was not prepared for the real world at all. And I actually did not want to work in the film industry. <laughs> and you were <laughs> in all. Vancouver at this point no. or Toronto? I was in Vancouver. Yeah, I'm originally from Vancouver. So uh, I was doing all of that in Vancouver. And so I pivoted hard. You know, it was the recession. I just needed a job to move out of my parents' basement and start my life. And I got, well, after a year of just kind of doing random things, uh, got a job in a newspaper and was there for three years. Not my ideal situation. It was like looking back, I'm like I learned a lot of things. It was a really great experience. But uh, during that time when I was really trying to figure out what do I want to do with my life because it's not film anymore, I really didn't have yeah. any kind of anchor anymore or, or guiding light. That's when I actually discovered personal finance because I wanted to know how do I budget my paycheck? How do I pay off my student loans? How do I do all of this? And it was actually my older sister who started, she's three years older, she started looking at personal finance blogs for her own self. She's like, oh, you should check them out. I'm like, oh, I didn't even know that was a thing. And I just got so fascinated that people were talking about so openly how much they were earning and spending what their net worth was. They were just putting it all out there. Like, I'm like, no one talks about that. That's what was the first financial book that you read? Uh, The Wealthy Barber, like every Canadian ever. I have that. (laughs) The original version might be a bit dated. I think he came out with a new version, but it's still like in general, like all of the principles he has in the book are are still relevant, which is great. But that was kind of the introduction. And then I'm just like, ooh, maybe I could start a blog. I was looking for a creative outlet after uh, not, you know, having a reason to like write films or anything anymore. And I just kept doing that on the side for a good five years while working different sales marketing jobs. And then I realized, why am I spending all of my free time doing the thing that is my passion? Maybe I should make that my main thing. Yep. So I, you know, was slowly kind of putting cash in my bank account as a little kind of uh 
you know, F off fund, as they call it, though I didn't really know <laughs> that's what I was doing. I was just hoarding cash subconsciously. And then it came to a point in my, you know, the last job I ever had where I'm like, I need to leave. This is not a good environment for me. I'm not moving up. I need to do something else. And that was seven years ago. And look at me now. Look, look at, at me now, y'all. <laughs> Yeah. And like you kind of took over the financial spotlight. And I think the reason that that happened is because the way that you kind of break down, decode or Mm -hmm. explain things that are normally very intimidating to people is so easy to digest. So, I mean, thank you, first of all. (laughs) You're welcome. I mean, I do that intentionally because when I entered, you know, the personal finance community, I found it very intimidating. It was very, and you know, this was going back, what, 12 years ago or something like that. All of the content that I found relatable and understandable was by women, but they mainly talked about debt and budgeting, and which was fine. But when you want to like level up, learn about investing or taxes or anything a little bit more um, complicated. It was all men who talked about yeah. that. And they used just, they have a different way of explaining things and, and using, you know, I, and I just was not welcoming. And I'm like, wouldn't it be great if there was, you know, someone who could decode and translate this stuff and not have this sense of entitlement that a lot of them have. You know, like you go on Reddit or Personal Finance Canada Reddit and my gosh, people are so cruel. They're like, oh, you don't know that or that's the wrong term for that. That is not how you encourage people to learn more and to to improve their financial literacy. And so not to say that I was the first woman to ever do this, but I definitely wanted to make sure I was in that group to make sure it could be different for the next generation or just anybody. You can be 40, 50, 60. I have people those ages in my course that finally feel like, hey, I can trust Jessica. And she really explains things in a way I finally understand. Maybe I can actually learn how to save for retirement. How great. How amazing. How amazing. That, that was one part of the course <laughs> that was pretty great. There's, um, you know, a lot of support in like um, a closed group that you can mm-hmm. interact, ask questions to everyone. And I remember being like, wow, there are so many people that are like totally different ages in this group, different backgrounds. And It shocked me, too, because like I thought in general, depending on, you know, looking at certain demographics for like my podcast or my Instagram or my YouTube in general, it's, it's, you know, millennials. But, um, you know, I'm hitting all of those kind of different demographics, younger, older. And I love that because it shouldn't just be for a certain yeah type of person. You know, this stuff is for everybody. Yeah. Especially if you're in your 50s, 60s, maybe there really wasn't anyone when you were in your 20s, yeah. 30s or 40s who was able to to make you feel seen. Yeah. You know? So on that front, since you brought it up about being a woman in this space, um, mm. can you give me, you know, maybe a lesson learned in how you operate in the space and <laughs> also maybe like a great experience that you had that made you feel empowered? Oh, gosh. Um, you know what? There's a lot of women uh, women I've looked up to and I still look up to who've done a lot of amazing things that made me feel like it was possible. Um, you know, lots of them are, you know, on TV and I aspire to have careers like them. Um, and they have been really encouraging. That's one thing that I realized is like if you want to have a career with longevity, you need to find those people that you can become friends with and look up to and don't, you know, think that, oh, there's competition. There's no, it's community. the best thing to, yeah, it's community. That is the answer to everything is community and, and supporting and lifting up each other. And so that's been really, really helpful. But 
it took a while to find those people because even still, especially when we just look at like the personal finance Candace space, it's still a very small space and um, it's growing, which I love that, especially seeing younger content creators and, and educators. But it was a small space to start and it was very male dominated. Not to say that I haven't also made friendships with of course. men in the space, but, um, you know, as women, we do face certain barriers that men just don't. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for instance, I know for a fact I've probably worked harder in terms of getting formal education in this space than most men who Waltz have in. thriving. Yeah. You know, like I've had to get credentials that lots of these men don't have to get. And, you know, they're still being paid the same as me. And so that's always been one thing that I've had to you know, it, it just is the reality. If I want to be taken seriously, I have to work twice as hard. And I think every woman can kind of relate to that. It's like, I have to get those credentials. I have to put myself out there more. I have to have a YouTube channel, a podcast, and, you know, do all of these <laughs> things. Whereas sometimes man could just have one and just be thriving. So you're talking about like just, the accreditation yeah. and... Yeah, yeah. That's why I have the AFCC. That's why I, I'm working towards my CFP. And, uh, you know, before I got this book deal, I've been working on that all year. We will talk about the book. Yes. And uh, I was hoping that I was going to be able to finish it this year. But that's kind of been uh, put on pause because it's a lot of freaking work to study for this particular exam. There's like a lot of exams I've had to do in order to get to this point, And then this is like the last leg of it. Yeah, because yeah. I think uh, a lot of the following came naturally at the beginning. And then you were like, oh, shit, like now I'm... I want to make sure that I can back what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. I've, I've talked to men. I'm like, has anyone ever questioned, why are you here? Why are you saying this? Why should I listen to you? And most men are like, no. I'm like, oh, really? Because that happens to me all the time. Yeah. Even still. It doesn't bug me as much now, probably because I have done a lot of work to be like, well, look on my LinkedIn. The receipts are there. There's receipts all day long. Yeah. Um, but it, it's frustrating that that could be a reason that a woman doesn't want to either pursue this as a career or even just per pursue this for their personal financial life because they're afraid of being judged or criticized because, oh, you don't know that when you're such an idiot. Yeah. And that doesn't make you want to like crack open a book and start learning. You just then you just feel like, oh, I'm the problem. Yeah. Maybe I am too stupid. Yeah. On the empowerment side of things. Do yeah. you think like it was the podcast that maybe like thrust you into this confidence? There, there's kind of a couple things. Like first, the podcast was definitely something that empowered me because I had an opportunity to talk to a bunch of smart people. And now it's been going on for eight years. I'm, you know, 380 plus episodes talking to that many people over that period of time really builds your confidence because you could realize, oh, I can have a conversation with you and keep up. Um, and, and talk about certain complex topics. I've had really smart PhD, uh, you know, professionals, uh, experts, economists on the show. And I'm like, I can keep up with you. And that feels really freaking good. I'd say the other thing is like as, as part of my course in order to get into it, you have to apply and then you have to have a call with me. And I do this strategically. So everyone who enters the course is is happy to be there. They want to be mm -hmm. there. And but because it's also great for me, because then I get to have these really intimate conversations with my audience who've maybe discovered me in one way or another, and I can find out what's going on in their lives. And I can have these conversations that are, I think, really important for both of us. And that's really empowering because a lot of it is like, hey, I discovered you and, you know, on Instagram or YouTube. This really helped me and I want to keep going. And I'm like, that is so encouraging for me to also keep going and creating content and helping others. That's what, you know, gives me that drive. Yeah. And I mean, it doesn't hurt when a media outlet calls and they're like, would you no, be our money expert? <laughs> <laughs> what was the first it call like? Nice. <laughs> Gosh, the first time, I mean, I think the first time I was ever 
on like a actual like TV show because I've been doing like, you know, quotes here and there for like online and newspapers and stuff since 2015. But I think the first time was a CBC um, show. I can't remember what it was, but it was with and I can't remember her name, but she used to be I'm not sure if she's still the host of Dragon's Den. Diane Buckner. I think so. Yeah. yeah. She blonde. Yep. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Like she's been the same host for for ages. And so I used to be like obsessed with Dragon's Den. And so then I was called. This was back in 2017. It was um, to be like on the show and talking to her. And I was so starstruck. I'm like, oh, my God. And I told him, like, I'm a big fan. <laughs> it was so exciting. And and I'm like, ah, oh, I did it. I held my own. I, I you know, this was very exciting. And then after that, I really another goal was like I want to be a regular on some sort of show. And at the end of 2017, a producer from CTV contacted me over Twitter DM and yeah. said, hey, I've been you know watching what you've been doing. Do you want to be on this show? And it was called Mind the Gap. And it was I did it for like three years, like maybe once or uh, once a month or every second month or something like that, where it was just a panel show with me and someone else of a different generation. There's the age gap kind of thing. Right. And we talk about like whatever the topic of the day was. And that was a really Really big thing for me because it was something regular and it man did it give me some great media training there you <laughs> learning go on the job yeah learning on the job that is how people ask me like oh how do you you know talk so you know eloquently or whatever on the media I'm like literally just doing it just doing yeah. it and not being afraid to mess up and just do it, it didn't also yeah and it also did help you know one of the side gigs I had in my 20s was a teleprompter operator for the news oh and so I was scrolling script for these anchors and like just kind of I guess memorized how they talked and what they did and when they messed up, what they'd say, you know, and then I just, I think part of that is just like ingrained in me. So I'm like, oh, you can, you can ask me anything on the media. I'm really good at pivoting or saying something, <laughs> di- you know, doing the political, like, well, that's a great question. I'm going to not answer it and answer a different question. <laughs> <laughs> so smart. And you know what? I have to say too, like I look to your podcast. I just thought it was done so well. And it was like, Mm -hmm. so clean and concise. The audio was good. Thank you, Josh. I mean, thank you, Josh. (laughs) Now, now, Josh, thank God he's off the hook. He did that podcast for me for free. Um, Because honestly, I wasn't making money with the podcast for several years, probably for like six years or or five or six years until now I have an editor. Thank God. Well, (laughs) that's what I was going to say. You know, like I, I really found inspiration in starting this podcast and watching what you were doing because... You know, I just think that you you took something that needed to be talked about more and made it into such like a well-rounded podcast. And I mm. always thought that that was very cool. Thank you. Another parallel to fitness and finance is mental health and finance and how you think about money, how you've been brought up thinking about money, how you internalize your thoughts about money. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. <laughs> Maybe if you're comfortable, you can start about like your relationship with money in that way. And then we can talk Gosh. about how it kind of filters into life. Yeah, no, this is a, a great transition because this is exactly what my book is about. Okay. And I'm still, you know, I've got a couple months left before I have to finish the book. So I'm still like in it, in the thick of it. Mm-hmm. And it's been a very interesting year, not only writing the book, but part of it is me having to dive into my own relationship with money, doing a lot of different therapy um, (laughs) and, you know, really going deep and raw, which is very difficult for me because as I've discovered, I do have trauma. Pretty much everyone does. Um, And and it could be big or small. It doesn't matter. But most of us have been touched by it in some way. And 
that will affect how you move forward in lots of your relationships, including your relationship with money. And so I didn't really realize until this year, oh, my relationship with money has been very toxic. It's really? Been very unhealthy. Very unhealthy. Um, because I always, like many people, thought it if I got more and then if I could get that career that, you know, made more money, if I could hit those milestones like so many people on social media, oh, I made a million dollars or blah, blah, blah. I make this amount, you know, every year. I'll be happy. Uh, it will solve all my problems. It will make me feel, you know, like I'm actually valuable. Like it, it will just, it'll cure everything. Right. And I realized that is a crazy thing to think. Like that is not how you should <laughs> look at money at all. That is not helpful. Yeah. You need to be able to love yourself and enjoy your life no matter how much you're earning or how much is your, in your bank account. Because how much money you have or, or what you're your current salary is has nothing to do with how valuable you are as a person, how how important you are to a lot of people in your life. Um, but that's not really how money is kind of uh, shown, you know, in the media or in TV shows or on social media. It's you're a, you're better if you have more, and that's really a terrible message to to ingrain in yourself and to to. Yeah. adopt. And so what I've been able to do is, you know, a lot of therapy to find out what are some of my unhealed wounds and then what is the connection there to how I operate with money or or you know, why have I been so ambitious since gosh, I don't know, maybe end of high school. And part of it it was like I wanted to prove to people that hurt me that I am worthy, mm. which is like I've been, you know, running this whole time. I've been just, you know, working and hustling and experiencing burnout because I'm running away from some of my unhealed trauma, mm. which is wild. I mean, it's one of those things. So it's a double edged sword because it's like now I understand that that's not good. But also I have ended up in a place where I am, you know, financially comfortable. I've got a career I really like. So that's great. But I wish I was able to achieve that with a much healthier mindset and yeah. wasn't so harsh on myself and didn't, you know, get motivated by negative self-talk, you know, like there's, there's so many things. And, you know, I discovered that about myself, but then I've also been able to interview a lot of people um, for my book and find out some of their origin stories and some of their traumas and their relationships with money. And it's, it's wild. Everyone has a story. Yeah. And you may not know it because no one's asked you the, the right questions before. And, wouldn't you agree that all of this is exacerbated by like large markets? Like, you know, I'm talking Vancouver and Toronto, and I feel yeah. like there will be many people listening from those markets. I don't know where, like just to share a little piece of, mm -hmm. of my history with money, I don't remember too much in terms of like keeping track. It's always just been kind of like an automatic thing that the money shows up and the money leaves. <laughs> those, are, mm -hmm. those are just the transactions that I paid attention to, you know, after first call it summer job, right? Like mm -hmm. working at Dairy Queen. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, my mom used to work at Dairy Queen. That was her first that's summer so job funny. too. She talks about it with fondest still. Oh, yeah. She's like, that was one of the best jobs I've ever had. I had to buy a, like a birthday cake for a girlfriend a few weeks ago. And watching the DQ person write on the cake, I wanted to jump over the counter and be like, can I just You're do like, it? You're like, that's not how you do it. Can I just do it? <laughs> so funny. But yeah, like going back to those days, like I wish that when I was 16 and had that job that someone had a conversation with me about that. But the truth mm -hmm. is I don't even think parents are equipped for those conversations. No. Like most of them are doing the best they can with 
like nothing. Like yeah. talking to my own family, this is one thing that I talk about in the book is like, oh my gosh, you've got to do a family inventory and, and figure out what happened yeah. and talk to your parents about how did your parents talk to you about money? Likely they didn't. Yes. And so they just learned things by observation. Some of those things were great. Some of them were very unhealthy. Yeah. Um, and so, for example, my mom, she's always been very great at budgeting and like, you know, hates debt. She's been very good. I've adopted some of those things just from observation. Those are great. But the the unhealthy part that we both have is we are terrified of something going wrong. So we won't take risks or it's very difficult for us to do yeah. something different. If we were like, I've been investing this way for so long, I can't change now, even though you're like, the, the data shows you probably should make a change. This actually is yeah. maybe the best route to take. And so, you know, she, but again, it's like, I don't blame her. She did the best she can. She gave me a lot of great tools, but also she, her toolbox was limited. And so we need to figure out how can we yeah. get some more tools for a toolbox because we're missing some pieces here. Yeah. And I almost feel like, you know, me running my own business now has, has really been something that has actually been the most educational for me in my entire life mm -hmm. because, I've come from a family who, you know, has been comfortable and my dad owns a family business and everyone's always been comfortable. And I think that led to us not talking about money because mm -hmm, it was always there. Yes. And, and you're like, OK, we're good. And that also led to like where, you know, a lot of kids are like they can feel when something is stressful with money in the family. Mm -hmm. I, I never had those feelings. I'm so lucky that I didn't have those. Mm -hmm. But on the unlucky front, because we never talked about it. You know, when you're going to sign your job applications and you're looking at what the mm -hmm. options are for stocks and things like that, you're yeah. just like, I have no idea what any of this means. And yeah. I'm afraid to ask anyone. And I probably mm -hmm. have made some bad decisions along the way just by never yeah. understanding risk or, you know, any of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it depends on so many variables. I've seen people that come from like I would call what you came from is like a financially secure household. Yes. And there's some good parts, but then some bad parts like we never talked about money. I, you know, interview this woman for the book. She came from a family of uber wealth. Yeah. And yeah, similarly, it's like we always had money and we never talked about it. And that caused a lot of other problems when I was an adult. Whereas yes. then there's the other side of it where people came from like a financially insecure household where there was never any money. And that may have bred, hey, oh, I'm going to be frugal. I'm going to save. I'm going to do something opposite to what I experienced because I don't want to live that life anymore. Right. But then also there's always something, something in there like I'm terrified of taking risk. Um, I hoard cash. I'm a terror. You know, I, I don't want to invest because I don't want to lose my money. All these other things. So yeah. no matter kind of what, you know, type of household you came from, there's always probably going to be something in there that you're like, ooh, maybe that's not very good for me to continue to take with me in, in my adult journey. Maybe we yeah. need to look at that and, and yeah. see if we can change that. It's Sarah Burke here, the host of the Women in Media podcast and the founder of the Women in Media Network. Yep, now there's an entire network. I've been working really hard to get things off the ground. And what would I do without coffee? I can barely function without it. But I feel much better about putting a coffee that's full of superfoods in my body. I've been loving the Focus Fuel Instant Mushroom Coffee from Organic Traditions. And of course, all the ingredients are organic. It's packed with lion's mane mushroom to support memory, focus, and cognitive function, adaptogens to nourish your brain, and MCT powder to boost your energy and improve mental clarity. And before you make that face, no, it doesn't taste like mushrooms. It tastes like coffee. Actually better than most. There are hints of cinnamon and vanilla, and it is absolutely delicious. 
Did I mention it also just won Best New Mushroom Enhanced Beverage in a 2024 Brand Spark survey? Want to try the Focus Fuel Mushroom Coffee yourself? Head to OrganicTraditions.com and use the promo code WOMENINMEDIA20 for 20% off at checkout. And by the way, that applies for the entire site, not just the coffee. You're welcome. Just add water and get at it. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. And there's certainly been some uncomfortable conversations like later in life, like let's call it in the last 10 years. Sometimes I'll, I'll ask my dad a bunch of questions about something, the way we've done something in the past. And I'll actually notice that he gets uncomfortable when we're talking about it mm-hmm. and maybe apprehensive and maybe even, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. shuts down. And mm-hmm. that's because I think when you run a family business too, there's this idea of not... It's complicated. It's Well, yes, it's complicated, but... <laughs> With family, it's complicated. It's also like none of your business, you're good. Like I get that. Yeah. I yeah. get that vibe yeah. Yeah. sometimes. And I know it's mm-hmm. not, it's nothing like that my dad is doing intentionally, but that comes mm-hmm. from some of his upbringing, I think. 100%. I mean, if your parents never talked about money or they would give you the cold shoulder, shut down, get angry if you ever brought it up, well, you're probably going to do that to your kids or you're you're, you're never going to ask any questions. Yeah, yeah. And when you think about it, it's like, you know, again, where did those grandparents get that? Yeah. They probably experienced that themselves. And it's just been like generational trauma <laughs> down the line. <laughs> yeah. So back to your book. Yeah. How did the Vancouver scene play into this relationship with money? Yeah. I mean, yeah, Vancouver was tricky. I loved living there. So I I moved away 10 years ago uh, when I was in my mid-20s. And part of it was affordability. I couldn't get a job that paid me a decent wage because I always had two jobs. Once I finished, you know, got that first full-time job at this newspaper that unfortunately went bankrupt. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Sadly. Um, uh, I had to have a second job and and I'm like, I'm exhausted. I've been doing this for like three plus years. I don't want to always have two jobs in order to just to pay my bills. Mm-hmm. And so everyone I talked to who moved to Toronto or we even had friends that, or you know people we knew who, who moved from Toronto to Vancouver because they wanted more of a nicer lifestyle. Like, oh yeah, there's a great trees and hiking trails and yoga. But uh, I found it very difficult to thrive there in a financial way and stay with my husband and, and the music industry is very small there. And so we moved to Toronto in 2013 because there was just more opportunity here. And there there really is. I would not have the career I have today if I stayed in Vancouver. I know that for a fact. Mm. And, you know, so like moving to a place where there is kind of just in general more prosperity in terms of like you can work and build something and earn wealth. Whereas in Vancouver, I found a lot of it was generational wealth or yeah, pretty much. It's like you went, you inherited. That's how you can afford these. You got a house because your parents bought it for yeah. you. There is that in Toronto, of course, but I feel like there's a lot more diversity in terms of different financial backgrounds and stuff like that, which makes you feel more senior. Like, oh, I can find more people who are experiencing my situation. And I found like when I moved to Toronto, it, it gave me hope that did not exist 
in Vancouver. Um, yeah. 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 The housing market is like a huge part of, I think, even what you talked about Ugh. in your course, because it's so hard to yeah. get into the market. Like, ridiculous. it's always been hard. And like, that's the thing I, I, it, me and my husband, Josh, we talked about I, when I was learning, you know, reading those books in my 20s. I'm like, we should buy some real estate. This is what everyone's saying. This was like, gosh, like 15 years ago, whatever. <laughs> uh, we, of course, could not afford anything in Vancouver or even like the surrounding suburbs at that point. It was so it was so expensive back then. Um, and so one of the good things about moving to Toronto was the market had not gone as crazy here yet. And so we were just coming from a place where it was impossible to own. Whereas here, I'm like, oh, you can still buy something. It's still expensive but there's you can actually buy a condo mm -hmm. you can actually buy a, a townhouse and so for us we yeah we're able to you know not have the best paying jobs and we're able to buy our first townhouse back in 2016 but now cut to 2023 2024 i don't think if we didn't buy back then we would not be able to afford a place there's no way yeah and it's not fair because no. the, the story we were told from our parents was you know Take your time, get your degree, get a good job, and then you can buy a place. And yeah, that just didn't work out for most of us. Like, it's just it's, it's impossible. I get questions all the time about, do you think Gen Z or they're having a harder time than millennials? I'm like, honestly, kind of. Yeah, yeah. because things were bad when we were in their situation in our 20s, you know, just recovering from the recession. It was hard to find a job. There was lots of spending freezes or, or budget freezes uh, with companies, no raises, no bonuses, etc. Now I feel like there's some there's some pros where it's like it's easier to start a side hustle. Whereas back then it's like I had to have an actual second job with a company. But no one's being paid like the the salaries have not really updated in the past 10 years. I Googled how much is like the average salary of a marketing co coordinator in, in Toronto um, and the other day. And it said about fifty six thousand. I'm like, that is literally what I earned at my last job which was seven years ago as a marketing coordinator. Right. It's like, but, you know, Inflation. the cost of living has increased how yeah. how much by then. It's insane. So it's it's really difficult. And it's, it's unfortunate I don't have <laughs> the solution, except yeah. for maybe it's about throwing out the roadmap you were given or, or that you expected to use and just play by your own rules. It's okay to rent. It's okay to live your life a little bit differently because yeah. things are not the same as they were. Shame is such a big part of many oh. people's relationships with money. Oh, yeah. That is like the number one, I think, feeling that people have. Even me, I still battle shame because we're constantly told that we're not do we're not good enough. We're not doing good enough yeah. compared to all the people, you know, on social media who are showing their lavish lifestyles. We don't know how they're funding those lifestyles. Yeah, yeah. But we compare ourselves to these people and then we feel shame for like, I can't believe I'm, I'm not good enough. I don't have that. I don't have this. I'm not reaching those milestones by these timelines that are set by someone else who has no idea what I'm going through. Mm. But yeah, it's, it's difficult. And then also there's not to mention just the the shame of yeah, advertising and marketing if you don't own <laughs> yeah. this stuff or the shame you get from maybe your parents for like, well, when I was your age, I owned a home and did it. I'm like, yeah, well, things were different back then. You know, it's a shame all around. It's, it's difficult. And I'd say the other thing to do with shame is when I first started, you know, learning about personal finance in my 20s, that was the overall tone of most money experts. Some of them still exist today. They're older and they're cranky and I cannot stand these people, <laughs> but they still have microphones somehow. And it was very much the Simon Cowell American Idol kind of vibe where they were just blaming you and shaming you for not doing good enough as a motivator for you to do better. That sure, like, how's that going to work yeah. out? Like, I, I, and I used to watch these shows and read these books 
And uh, on one hand, I do because of probably my trauma, I do find motivation from like kind of these 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 negative tones. I'm like, fine, I'll, I'll show you. You don't think I'm good enough. But on the other side, then I, I hung on to a lot of this. I, I never feel good enough. I know, you know, like it's it's <laughs> so it's why I try to always yeah. come from a place of like empathy because there was just no empathy back in the day. It was all just like you're not if you know, if you don't do this task, then you don't get this prize money from this TV show or whatever the heck. And yeah, it's just it's brutal. This is not what we need. We, we need more understanding yeah. and empathy and and uh, kindness, not, you know, just brutal honesty, which is really just it's not honesty. It's just being, you know, blunt and, and rude. <laughs> Even something as simple as like someone saying, oh, you don't own it? You're renting? Yeah. And you're like, yeah, I need a roof over my head. Yeah, don't but you? It's, like- <laughs> and it's like you and, and I always think when someone says that, I'm like, well, if you own, tell me how you were able to manage that. I th- there was some stat that I saw the other day. I can't remember it exactly, but it was an incredibly high percentage of young people are able to buy a home. Because they get money from their parents. Oh, I'm one of them. Way. Like the, yeah. you know, my and there's, parents and it, have had I don't want to shame me. people for that. I mean, we've definitely had some help um, as well, but it's it's one of those things where it's like, then don't judge people who don't have that privilege. Like that is a privilege. Yes, you did not earn that. Yeah. So acknowledge that and don't shame for pe- people who, who weren't able to have that same privilege. It's ridiculous. But the I think part of that is also the idea, the, the, the message that we all got from our parents that they probably got from their parents is renting is throwing your money away. I remember yes. my yes. my my uh, husband's uh, stepfather used to talk about this. I mean, he's in this in the 70s. So it was a very different time where he grew up. He's like, oh, you know, I knew people who just rented all their lives. And where are they now? Where he bought his first home in his 20s. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they did something differently. Like, there are lots of stats that show you can build wealth without owning yeah. a property because they are very expensive to upkeep. You can invest the difference and still do well. It's okay. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about um, other ways of investing other than real estate. And this could maybe mm. get us into a talk about like end of year and taking yeah. stock for beginning of year and and more like the budgeting side of things. And mm-hmm. for anyone who has never thought about this stuff. I know I hadn't mm-hmm. until, again, I was walking away from a company and going to start my own business. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were a part of that. So mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'd say the first thing, because this is what I see from so many people who are working for a company and maybe got thrown in, didn't really look at like their employment package, which is totally fine. And, and you know, they're, they're maybe not taking advantage of all of the things, like all their benefits and stuff. Uh, I remember my last job was for this big corporate law firm. And, you know, I, I had several jobs at that point. I was you know, very savvy with personal fines. So I knew exactly the first thing you do is find out, hey, do you have a group RSP or a pension? Because I want in. I want that money Opt-in. from the employer. If you were not opted in, you are not getting that extra money from your employer who's going to match your contributions. Um, and I remember at that, this particular place, you could only opt in if you'd been there for two years, which was really annoying. But whatever, I did my time, yeah. got in. <laughs> uh, and then I think retroactively, they kind of uh, match your contributions because you can make it like a lump sum or something like that. I talked to people in my department and no one else was contributing. And I'm like, you were literally leaving money on the table, like on the table because they are going to match your contributions. This is money you will not get if you're not participating. So that's the number one thing. If you have a job and you're not sure if they have a plan, ask, get that money. Because I think also another thing people think that, well, what if I want to leave the job? It's like you can take that money with you. You can move it. It is not there forever. You can move it to a different institution once you leave. That's not a problem. So make sure to just take advantage of that. It's free money. 
Number two, you need to invest on your own. <laughs> and what I see most people do, this is like literally 99% of the people I talk to on the, the calls for my course, is they are working with mom and dad's financial planner or financial advisor <laughs> yeah. at the bank. And they feel like most of the reason they, they are interested in learning this for themselves is they feel like they're not really getting value for for the fee that they're paying or because most people don't also understand that the fee, they are paying fees. It comes off of what your your investable assets are. So it's kind of invisible, but you are spending money um, to have that service by them. And they feel like talked down to, not understood, not heard, not getting what they they need. And so for me, that's why I'm really you know, passionate about educating people on how to learn to do it on your own, whether that's using a robo advisor, but really understanding what that means, not just like doing the form and then, I don't know, I'm in a portfolio, but I don't know what I'm investing in. We need to understand uh, what we're investing in or really doing it on your own, which is called self-directed investing or do-it-yourself investing, building your own portfolio, show you how to do all these different things. I will the link course, to but- the course, by the way, in the show yes. notes. Yes. <laughs> but you yeah. know, these things are possible. Um, and it's so much easier now, literally compared to five, six, seven years ago, where I think that the first robo-advisor, well, simple, came about maybe in 2015. Like it hasn't been around maybe, maybe a little bit later, but it hasn't been around that long. Because I remember when I was trying to figure out how could I invest my money, it was impossible. <laughs> it was like, well, you have to either have money in order to work with a, a wealth management firm. They're like, oh, sorry, you can't work with this unless you have six figures Jesus. to invest. And you're like, well, <laughs> I don't have six figures. Um, or what most people do, and this is what I did, like most people, go to the bank, talk to an advisor, and then they're going to sign, you know, pitch you, oh, here's a portfolio of some very high fee actively managed mutual funds, which I'm not a fan of. And so um, you feel like, well, what are my options? And the options are there are more options. RoboAdvisor, do it on your own. You can learn this stuff. I did. Everyone can learn this. It, it can be very simple. With that said, when you're like Googling how to invest, there's a lot of different strategies out there, right? And so it can be intimidating. For me, yeah, it's intimidating. Um, hence why, honestly, like part of the the reason I'm like really glad I did some of this formal training on my path to become CFP is it really demystified it. Like, I'm like, what are all the different strategies? You Google it and it's so hard to keep up. When I did the Canadian Securities course back in 2020, during the height of the pandemic, it was like the le- the most stressful <laughs> set of exams I've ever done, having to do it in a room because they didn't do it online at the point. I had to go into this office with other people. There was no vaccine. I'm like, I'm going to die with your mask <laughs> on for like a two to three hour exam. I literally almost had a panic attack. Um, oh but it was great. Like, looking back, I'm like, I'm glad I did those because I learned a lot that I can then pass on to other people. Yeah. So they don't have to do that terrible exam. But there are strategies. Basically, they're they're broken into two categories, passive investing, active investing. Passive investing is what I teach, which is really about just like, we're not trying to beat the stock market. We just want to match it. And the stock market uh, in general has gone up eight, nine percent every year annualized. So it's not always eight or nine percent, but just, you know, over uh, the course of time on average. Active investing is when you're trying to beat the market. So it's really just like about different goals. So, you know, when you hear people stock picking or uh, dividend investing, so they're only investing in stocks that pay out dividends. Those are versions of active investing. But there's so many like momentum, value investing, all these different types, which is really more complex. And studies show, honestly, they don't actually like it's very difficult for especially an individual investor who isn't like a professional to beat the market, which is why I'm like, just match it. Just do index funds. It's easy. Yeah. Fair. Okay. So end of year advice. What should, Mm. and it's okay if, you know, you're taking in this conversation at the beginning of the year. It's okay. 
Because really, if you look at tax season, we're we're still we got a couple months to go before we got a hand. Is it like, bad that I love tax season? It's like one of my favorite. Time. I'm, I'm a weird one. I know my kind's <laughs> like okay. I'm like I really enjoy it because I'm. I, I really I like, enjoy it. <laughs> I like. Oh, I think part of it is is more exciting being self employed because you're like, how much do I owe? It's kind of looking. Do I get any money back? I guess you know what. <laughs> I might understand that thrill because, and I think you'll be proud of me. And this does tell me that I learned something in your course. I would say that I did mm-hmm. a lot of like the learning stuff, and then I just haven't done like the going to mm-hmm. figure yeah. out what I want to invest in next. Yeah. So I, I'm like a halfer. I'm a halfer. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But when I came out of my first year working for myself, owing ten dollars. Ooh. I was like, okay, that feels nice. That, that, yeah. I feel like I did this all right. Yeah. Yeah. It's scary. Like I hear stories from people being like, <laughs> I did my first year being self-employed. Yeah. I didn't know I had to save money in advance for taxes. And now I owe $10,000, which I don't have. Like, yeah, we don't want to be there. We yeah. want to keep track of things. And for and, the record, I do like uh, yeah. pay an accountant who yes. is, is also. I always tell people like yes. I get questions all the time, especially yeah. I have a bunch of YouTube videos that I've made over the years on taxes, especially for self-employed taxes, because yeah. I couldn't find any videos. I still get so many questions about like, da, 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 da. And I'm always just like, here's my answer. But please find an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> is money well spent? Yes. They will be able to. I have an account like they're they're money well spent. Yes. Most bank backends, I've really noticed that there are some tools in the back end of my mm-hmm. bank that I haven't even ever looked at, but they're there yep. where you mm-hmm. can look at the different pockets in which you're spending yep. money if you have not made a formal budget where you can actually like be like, oh, yeah. okay, so the bank has classified all this stuff for me. And oh, yeah. Take advantage yeah. of these free tools that honestly like did not exist like uh, just a few years ago. Now all the banks are like, oh, we need to get some tools. People are asking for this. Yeah, they're free. Take advantage. Yeah. But if you can like I'm an old school, I've got a spreadsheet. I've been using it for years. It is uh, my guiding light. I get excited at the <laughs> beginning of every new year to kind of <laughs> redo it, you know, update some things. Yeah. But um, what you can do at the end of the year is, is start to craft that, like create those goals, those plans for yourself and start to maybe take a look at what your spending has been throughout the year, just like the last three months or four months just to get an average and then plug those numbers into that spreadsheet. So you have, you know, a bit of a foundation. Okay. This is what we likely will experience next year. How can we do things differently? How can we spend our money differently? How can we save some more money? Like really prioritizing your savings, whether that's saving for, or, you know, really investing for retirement. Mm -hmm. or any other kind of goal and saving for those short-term goals. You want to go on a trip, you know, this time next year, start saving now. I mean, me and my husband have always had a travel fund that we automatically every single month put money into, which is great because not only is it like fun putting money into that travel fund because you're like, ooh, this means we're one step closer to maybe being able to go on a trip. But then when you are maybe doing some searches for what are some good deals right now and you're like, oh, I found a great deal and maybe just have to put a deposit, you'll have money in that travel fund for that deposit. And then by the time you have to pay the full thing, Smart. end of the year or whatever, you got the money in your bank account, which is Love really that. exciting. This is literally what I did this year. <laughs> Where are you going? Uh, Cancun. Very nice. Very excited. Yeah. So definitely the budget, the planning, the goal setting is really great. And if you can, if you have a bonus, for example, lots of people are getting holiday bonuses or maybe getting a, a raise or something like the that. The companies uh, that I've worked for, the bonuses have come in like February sometimes. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. You never know. I've had some jobs where they did it in uh, December. Yeah. And, um, you know, make a plan for what you want to do with that money. I always tell, uh, tell people put like, you know, 20% to do whatever you want with it and maybe the rest, the 80% into something a little bit, you know, smarter, putting into towards debt. It's taxed. It is always taxed. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't get the full amount. 
it's income. Yeah. Um, but that's the other other thing. Do not spend your bonus or even like your tax refund when you're like, oh, I'm getting a tax. Don't spend it before it lands in your bank account. <laughs> Don't do that because yeah. it may be less than you thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, if you can make a plan to use that bonus for a, a purpose like, oh, we're so close to hitting that you know amount that I wanted or, or maxing out my TFSA or something like that use that money in that way yeah. you I, i've never regretted saving money i'll just say that i've regretted spending money on stupid crap i will what's say. the dumbest thing you've ever you've ever bought i'll tell you right now <laughs> she knows i'll tell you right now i know it i still regret it i'm so mad at myself for doing this i got really spendy in uh 2022 me and my husband sold her townhouse in 2021 bought a house in 2022 and I was very excited and I had finally like an actual proper room I could call an office. And I was really obsessed with this idea of getting um, built in desks. And so I wanted to have one built in desk I can work from and another one that would be kind of like a little beauty studio. I could have my like, makeup and stuff like that. Because you're on camera hired, now and killing it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so uh, instead of trying to do it in my tiny little bathroom. Um, yeah. And so I hired a company to do it and it was expensive and crap like I'm so mad at like they had to redo it like they put it together I'm like this looks terrible like I'm not paying for this you have to redo it like it's literally not like level (laughs) it's not level (laughs) oh my god and so they had to redo it and when they did they ripped up parts of the wall that are still not fixed because I'm just too angry to learn how to do it myself and fix it and stuff like that so that was a big waste of money so don't buy the built-in desk Don't, and then also, I'm just like, why did I get permanent desks? Now I can never use this room for like a bonus room for like if my parents yeah. stay. You know, like it's just it was an emotional like I look back I'm like 2022 was a year of emotional spending. <laughs> <laughs> like everything I spent money on, I'm like, you were emotional when you bought that. <laughs> OK, on the flip side, best investment of money. Whether it's in like a oh, thing gosh. or I mean, you might. Yeah. Don't don't be lame and answer yeah. with RRSPs, but. <laughs> no, no, no. I won't. I won't say lame answers like that. But that's good. I'd too. say that is good, too. Yeah, I, I'll say. Great question. Um, Probably my I've got this DSLR I bought several years ago. Um, I think I got it a little bit on sale. I always like a sale, a deal. Yeah. Um. That's a camera. I wanted for to start a YouTube channel. Know, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. So it's a, a Canon seven uh, DD, um, and I want to start a YouTube channel um, so I can start this new, you know, uh, part of my business. And yeah, it's been great. I mean, I haven't been doing YouTube so much this year, but yeah. almost at twenty five thousand subscribers, we so we're getting it. there. Not too bad. Yeah. And that was a great way to not only hey, let's, you know, try to make money in that way. But also it's been a great way for me to kind of go back to my filmmaker roots a little bit, you know, like, hey, that degree is finally paying off. You knew what to do with that DSLR. (laughs) A a little bit. I had, I honestly, no, things have changed since my time. So, (laughs) oh my God. You know what? This, this is really why I think this is like an intriguing thing for me anyway, about like your path in media, right? Because mm-hmm. it really mm-hmm. was like a do-it-yourself, like DIY. Oh, totally. Everything was DIY. Whereas yeah. like I'm sitting here being like, <laughs> oh, I went to school for this and she has so many YouTube subscribers and she's so well-spoken and her podcast is amazing. <laughs> you know? Well, like- thank you. Well, I certainly don't have your, I mean, oh, I've got to tell you, Josh was uh, listening to the radio and he heard you the other day and he's like, damn, she's good. Aww. I'm like, yeah, I know. She's a professional. Like I'm literally just pretending to be one. <laughs> no, no, no. But what, I, what I'm what i getting at with my compliments here is that I think that everyone has a yeah. different path. And uh, yeah. look, two of us, both content creators, we've both come yeah. about it completely different ways and landed in yeah. spaces that we maybe didn't even think we'd ever be landing in. And 
look at us go. Yeah. It's awesome. Look at it. And that's the thing. You've got to embrace the journey because believe yeah. me, along the way, I was very frustrated. Things weren't going fast enough. It went in a direction I never thought it would yeah. and, and like a way I didn't want it to. Believe me, there were so many points where I'm like, should I just quit? Should I just stop trying? And, <laughs> no. you know, be, even still I have those thoughts because you compare yourself to bigger creators like, gosh, I'm not at that level and I've been doing it for so long. But yeah. you've got to have a really good reason for why you're doing it. So I'm not doing this. So that's when it pays I off can make the most. Feel the passion. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to have that like really grounded. I'm doing this because I want to be that voice for someone who was like me when, you know, in their 20s or or, or whatever age and feel like they're not they're not being heard or seen. And they find me. They're like, oh, maybe I can tackle my finances. That is literally the only thing that is driving me. It is not the the subscriber numbers, the, the, you know, I want to hit this, these money things. No, that's literally not what it is. Because I mean, if it was like, I wouldn't have done it for free for so many years. (laughs) We know, we know. (laughs) Totally fair. Before we wrap, the book, I know it's a ways away still. It was so funny. Um, Jess got the news that she was going to be writing this book while she was like, she was like freaking out eating an omelet at my place. And I was like, what's going on? And she's like, well, you're going to be the first person I told this to. And we had just hung out for like the first time, just us two, not in a group. Yeah, And we did that at 45 and I was exhausted. (laughs) And she's like, well, you're the first person I'm telling. I'm writing a book. So the book is 2025. January 2025, uh, title TBD. But yeah, that is when it's going to be coming out. And yeah, I'm excited. 2024 is me editing the book and we'll see. (laughs) We'll see. I mean, no one has read anything I've written. So I'm I'm excited and terrified what my editor will think. Okay. (laughs) But I'm really proud of it. I'm really, really excited. And um, just again, that's like a deep dive into, you know, finding your relationship with money. It's basically, yeah, it's like discovering what your current relationship with money is or why you do the things you do and you don't know why. And then how can we fix the psychology we develop? Yeah, it's the psychology and the behavior and all the things wrapped into one. Why do most people struggle with money when it isn't necessarily a lack of information? Mm. Because the information's out there, but people are struggling. Why is that? Love this. Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, is there anything we should direct people to in the show notes that I haven't mentioned? Uh, yeah, well, so you can find me on my website, jessicamorehouse.com. If you want to learn more about the course that we kind of mentioned, yep. Wealth Building Blueprint for Canadians, jessicamorehouse.com slash course. And, you know, you can find me on YouTube, just under my name, Jessica Morehouse. Yeah. And then Instagram, Jessica I Morehouse is the handle. And the More Money Podcast. I forgot. I have a podcast, too. <laughs> we will link to the podcast. We will link to the course. We will link to her website. Um, also, some Amazing. great resources on that website, too, if you're just looking for kind of mm-hmm. like a la carte, like budgeting type yep. of things. Yeah and stuff like that which was very helpful for me amazing you are honestly one of my favorite content creators thank you for doing what you're doing that makes me feel so good because that was always the goal because remember I was in a place where I didn't know anything (laughs) yeah (laughs) if I can come from a place of like I don't know what the difference between a checking and savings account is and now I'm teaching people about investing that gives hope for everybody doesn't it (laughs) well thank you for making it so easily digestible and uh, yeah have a listen to the More Money Podcast with Jess Morehouse I'm Debbie Travis. And I'm Tommy Smythe. And this is Trust Me, I'm a Decorator. We're now podcasters. And why did we call it that? Well, you know us as decorators, but we've got lots more to share. We want to talk about travel and relationships. We're going to have amazing guests on. Guests who inspire us for sure. We'll probably talk about design too. And of course, Tommy, don't forget about food. Oh my gosh, how did I forget about food? So please follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or as they say, wherever you get your podcast. And we'll pop right up when we have a new episode. Where's this luck?
This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.